0: Um, all right, you guys almost ready to hop into the sermon? It's kind of early, so everyone's going to start coming in late. Mostly everyone's all here. Um, it was great. It was, You know, I feel like I'm a pretty good-looking person in general, and apparently I don't dress well enough, but it was overwhelming, the response. This, I did get some new adult clothes over Christmas, um, but I'm an adult. I know I just don't act like one, but I am an adult. I'm almost in my 40s, and so... You made me all self-conscious, so let's just get it all out of our system. All right, thank you. Okay. Well, my name is, uh, my name is Ben Kearns, and I'm uh, an adult, and I'm also the pastor of Children's and Students <laughs> here at Marine Covenant Church. And um, a couple weeks ago, I met with a good friend of mine as a youth pastor out in Davis, and uh, we, uh, we went on a little uh, hiking trip, and uh, we were driving, and as we were driving and going on this little hiking trip together, he was telling me about uh, this question that he posed to his students who I thought was a very interesting question. I was actually pretty impressed that he had the guts. But what he said to his students for their small group uh, Bible study is they said, would you rather live in a world that is, uh, that is defined by karma or a world that is defined by grace? And, uh, and I'm like, wow, that is really gutsy and that you did not get fired and good job for, uh, for posing that question. And he's like, yeah, but what was really interesting, what him and his leaders have been wrestling with is that 80% of their students said they want to live in a world that is defined by karma, not a world that's defined by grace. And I thought, well, that is really interesting. And these are like good church kids. These are the kids who made it not only through Sunday school and youth group, and, but now they're in like small group Bible study. These are like the cream of the crop of good Christian kids. And they want to live in a world that is defined by karma rather than grace. And I thought that was very, very interesting. So just to make sure we're all on the same page here, I found the definition of karma. It says this, karma is the cosmic principle according to which each person is rewarded or punished based on what they do. All right, it's a, it's a cosmic principle according to which each person is rewarded or punished in one incarnation based on what they do. And grace is God's merited, unmerited favor, and that is grace is God doing good for us even when we don't deserve it. And for those of us in the church, we love that. We love grace. Of course, God lavishes grace on us. It's our favorite churchy word. We know it through and through. We think, oh, those silly kids. How could they want karma? But what's interesting is that, uh, study after study after study is saying, man, this is actually the theological worldview of our students and not just our students, but the churches that they come out of. There was a study a couple years ago. They studied over 3,000 students and they said, hey, describe God to us. If you had to describe God, how would you do it? And, uh, And as they described God, they came up with these three points. One, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Two, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And three, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to, uh, to resolve a problem. Those were the big conclusions, and then they came up with a very fancy word to describe this God. And this God, they say, is moral, uh, therapeutic deism. So the God that our students uh, worship, the God, when, when they've been asked to define it, what they come up with is this God who wants them to live a good life, to be nice, to be fair, and is going to help them fulfill all of their dreams and hopes and expectations. And uh, it's really easy as us adults, as us church people, to go, oh, those silly students. Don't they know about grace and about sin and about Jesus? And, uh, but as I thought about it, I realized, I think I actually believe in a moral, therapeutic, deistic God as well. And I started thinking about different examples in my life where I feel like I'm a pretty good person I make really good choices. And because I'm a good person, because I make good choices, therefore God should come through for me. And, uh, and I'm kind of entitled to certain things because I'm pulling my weight. And um, when I was in college, for two whole quarters I had a, a real job. And I did, uh, I was washed dishes in our dining commons. And uh, I, I was the bottom of the totem pole, so at 7 o'clock in the morning I have to ride my bike over to the dining hall and scrub pots. And, uh, but as I'm scrubbing pots, I'm like... I'm really smart and I'm way better than this pot scrubbing deal you know I can actually do more if they would just give me the chance and uh I figured, you know if I work hard I'll work my way up the totem pole and you know by next quarter I should be the manager of the kitchen or something for sure and uh, but but by next quarter I now got the nine o'clock pots dishing class uh pots dishing thing and what was weird is inside I remember this like it was yesterday I was offended I was like do you even know how good of a worker I am do you even know what I can bring to Lacumbra of Dining Commons and, and they, obviously they didn't. And here I am as a good Christian kid in college who loved Jesus, who had good theology in my heart of hearts. At the end of the day, I did good things. Therefore, God should come through for me. And because God should come through for me, I should live this life. Now, I knew about grace. I knew about sin. But that is the worldview I bring to the table. And I think if we're honest, many of us adults bring to the table. We can't just patronize our students and go, oh, you silly students. Because we are the people who have taught that. Who it's, it's what's been passed down and passed down. And the deal with moral therapeutic deism is that it is an unbiblical view of God. And because it's an unbiblical view of God, therefore, the fruit of that unbiblical view of God is unbiblical characteristics, things that define who we are. So if we really think that we're good people, we make good choices, God's going to help fulfill us to be all that we desire to be, what happens is we actually become defined by pride, by stinginess, by envy. Right? We find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. Why did that person get that and not me? Right? If you have little kids, they're always, why did so-and-so get this and not me? Right? That is our worldview that we bring to the table. Well, this morning, our big word that we're going to look at goes straight to the face of moral therapeutic deism. It is the antithesis of moral therapeutic deism. The big word we're going to look at this morning is human depravity. It is the big word that we'll see makes a huge, huge difference. Human depravity means that we are morally corrupt, we are bankrupt people, that we actually are not good. And what's interesting, of all the doctrines of Christianity out there, uh, human depravity is one that our non-Christian friends cannot get their head around. It makes no sense to them. In fact, uh, and and rightly so, the church has done an awful job throughout history of going, oh, we're all broken, we're all depraved people, so therefore if you're not in our family, then you're bottom feeders, you're next to nothing, and therefore we can Take your money, take your land, you can be our slaves, we can kill you, whatever. Those are dramatic examples, I know, but I only have 24 minutes left. Um, but the truth is that the Christians, for better or for worse, have done a poor job throughout history. And as a reaction, uh, kind of for us, we've gone, no, 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 we're not, we're, not, we're not awful, we're not evil, we're good and we're beautiful. And, uh, and so this morning we're going to kind of try to split the difference. We're going to kind of get our head around this idea that, man, because of sin, because of who we are, Uh, We are actually not good people at all, but we are morally bankrupt people, and there are some consequences and some awful things that go with that, Um, but the more that we can get our head around the bad news, I think the good news of Jesus Christ just becomes that much more sweet. So can you hang with me? Can we try to crank through that big word? Davis, you're not so sure? You're okay? All right, good. All right, if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Romans chapter 5, and we'll uh, get after it. And uh, we're going to be using our Bible a bunch this morning, so grab your Bible, take the one in front of you, and um, we're going to have our way through the New Testament. Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one to come. All right, how's that for thickness? Good, let me pray for us and then uh, we'll spend our time unpacking that. Gracious God, I thank you that you love us and you are so patient with us as we try to figure out what it means to know you and follow you. And God, I pray that you'd be extra gracious with me and with each other as we try to get our head around who are we, what is this status, what is our nature, what is going on inside of us, and to get a firm grip on that, God, because it's only by understanding who we are that we can really get what you've done for us on the cross. So Holy Spirit, we need you to uh, speak to us and to instruct us and to draw us closer to your son, Jesus, and all of God's kids said, amen. All right, so it begins, says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through Adam. So here's the deal. Adam and Eve, Adam, you know, Eve eats something, Adam eats something, God banishes from, you know, from the garden, you know, the whole story. But the fruit of all that is that sin, brokenness. Remember, they, uh, they, were, they were naked, but then they realized they were naked, they felt shame, and they hid it from God. And that basically the bottom line of that story is that we, are sinful people who have been separated from God. And every single human is a descendant from Adam. Now, like I said before, when you look at me, you're like, man, Ben, those are great new clothes. You're a youth pastor. You're handsome. Your wife must be so blessed, and she is. And those are all things that you, that you think when you, when you look at me. And, and most of them are true. Well, okay, maybe. well, she, I'm blessed you know, blessed that, that way. But that's how, you know, what do, what do I carry my identity in? And what are the things that are define me? I have all these things that I define myself on. And we think, and those are all pretty good things, so therefore I'm a good person. But the deal is, we need to understand how are we defined from God. And the deal is, because of our sin nature, because we are descendants from Adam, our identity is not handsome old youth pastor guy. My identity is Adam. Adam is the one who is the umbrella who shapes who I am and how I'm going to interact with God and with the world. So to help us get get our head around this, I have a little bag here, Trader Joe's, yeah, um, and we are when we are born, our identity is Adam. It's this it's this opaque bag. You can't see the you can't see um, through it. And uh, when God looks at us in it, all he sees is Adam. He sees our our sin, our rebellion, our you know our warring spirit at him. So I, I went to my son's room this morning, found Han Solo because I felt like. If I could be anyone, I'd be a Han Solo. And we go, man, Han Solo, he's pretty awesome. You know, he's super great, hip, cool, and uh, drives drives a Millennium Falcon. That's great. But the deal is, when we are born, our identity is not all these things that we put all this stock in. Our true identity in God is that we are identified with Adam. We are identified with the sinful, rebellious person of Adam because we are all descendants of him. And so we're going to take a look at this morning three um, simple yet horrific uh, consequences of being identified with Adam. So again, if you have your Bible, flip back one whole page to Romans chapter five, verse 23. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the deal is, is that in Adam, when God looks at us and he sees us through Adam, in Adam, we are rebels. Our very nature is is to push back on the rules. God says, here are the rules I want you to follow, and we push back and we go, no way. Don't walk on the lawn. We're like, I'm walking on the lawn. Who's gonna, who are you to tell me not to walk on the lawn? Don't text and drive, whatever. You don't understand how important that is, right? We have all these laws, and, uh, and so we push back on them. And the deal is we live in a very civilized, kind society. And so the truth is, any offense that you do on me is not that great. Even if you came to my house and burnt the thing down, I have homeowner's insurance, and it'll get worked out. Right, the biggest devastation you could do for me somehow is going to get worked out. Um, but the truth is, our rebellion when we break God's laws, there's a punishment, there's a consequence to that, and um, and the consequence is a real thing. And Scripture says that the that the uh, I forgot what I said. Uh, that the wages of sin is death, that when we sin, what we earn is death. We earn separation from God. And I had to go all the way back to 10 years old to think of the last time I actually really broke something that actually cost something. And uh, when I was 10, uh, my, my, my cousin and I, we were driving around my grandma's ranch down the Imperial Valley, and it was a big F-150 truck, and uh, we're 10, uh, But it's a ranch, you know, it's alfalfa fields and stuff, so of course we're driving this thing. And my cousin, he grew up on the ranch, so he knew actually how to drive this thing. I, like, played video games, so I kind of knew how to drive. And uh, so we're driving around, and my uncle said, listen, Aaron, you can drive. That's great, but Ben, I don't really want you driving because, you know, if you want to drive, I'll teach you, but Aaron, you need to be driving. Well, we get a couple acres out going around the alfalfa fields. I'm like, hey, can I have a, let me take a crack at this. And Aaron, he's 10, what's he going to say? Okay. So... I get to drive. I'm driving this big. Here I am, 10 years old, driving to F-150, around the Alfalfa fields. I am awesome. So I, we pull into my, to my grandma's, uh, to my grandma's you know, shop area, and I flip into reverse to park it. Now I'm 10. I've never driven. I've never gone in reverse. I didn't know you look behind you. You, know, you just drive it's gonna, until you get there. Well, I'm driving in reverse, driving in reverse. All of a sudden, boom, I, cr- I just rear-ended right into the main uh, post of, of my uncle's shop. And I just dented his tailgate and his bumper, caused $5,000 worth of damage. So here I am, 10, and I, was, I did what I was not supposed to do. I made a decision, and it actually, the true cost was $5,000. I'm 10. Seriously, I didn't have a paper out yet. I have no money. You know, that's at the point grandmas are giving you 50 cents still. I am hosed. There's nothing I can do to make up for this idea. That but the truth is, I'm a rebel. You are rebel. When we are identified with Christ, all of us have sinned. The wages of that sin is death. It is a very real consequence. We think, what's the big deal? But in God's eyes, in Adam, that sin is this horrific offense. It is, it is just like awful smell to God's nostrils. And it is a, an offense that deserves and rightly deserves punishment. And the punishment is death. So in Adam, we are rebels. All right. The next, if you have your Bible still, uh, flip over a little bit to Galatians chapter 5. And the deal is is that we're not just rebels. Being sinful, being identified with Adam isn't just going, oh man, God said to do this and I don't want to. Being, uh, being um, in Adam is actually more than that. Being in Adam is that we are actually broken people. So not only are we rebels, but we are broken people. That we have this sin nature in us that is actually devastating us and destroying us from the inside. So in Galatians chapter five, it says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this list, and all throughout Scripture, there's these other sin lists, but what they are is this, it's, it's these motives, it's these things that inform our actions, and they are this deadly disease that eats away at us. And what's awful in our context, we're all good, good-looking people, and we have good jobs, and we work really hard, and we go, hey, how are you doing? And we all look great. And we don't realize that on the inside, we have this disease that is devastating us from the inside. There was a, a man at, our, at our, my son's school who, over this last year, found out he had brain cancer. And everyone's like, there's no way he could have brain cancer. He is hip, and he's young, and he's doing such great things. How could this be? And sure enough, over the duration of a few months, the brain cancer took his brain and ended up taking his life. And our whole school is like, what in the world was that? And for any of you who, have, who know people who wrestled with and, and had cancer, it is this awful, awful thing. Because especially on the front end, you are happy. Life is great. You have no idea until you go to the doctor. And they are like, oh, just kidding. There's this thing. And your stomach drops. And the deal with this kind of sin and this kind of brokenness, vitamin C does not cause, will not cure cancer. Right? It is drastic efforts, if you're going to even be saved at all, to remove it, to have chemotherapy. And this sin, this sin nature that we have inside of us, is devastating us from the very inside, and we are broken people. And what's awful is if you really think of all the people in your life who have wronged you and the hurts that we carry, the people who have done these awful things to us, you can see the sinful nature. You can see the the in-Adam brokenness that just gets spilled out on us. And many of us carry deep and awful wounds from sin and brokenness that's happened to us. And because we're so sinful and broken, we don't even realize that we're just doing that to others over and over again. And so we need to understand when we are in Adam that we're not just rebels. We're not just on the, God says do this, we don't do it. But from the very inside, we have this nature that is decaying and dying and killing us and in turn killing those around us. Now, the third thing is so it's not just that we're rebels. It's not just that we have the sin inside of us that is, uh, that's um, decaying us and our brokenness. But that rebellion and that brokenness actually impacts the way that we can connect with God. And in Adam, that we are also alienated. So turn uh, again to First—I mean, not to First—to Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-one. Just a few pages over, and it says this: Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. This sin is not just a thing that God needs to punish. It's not just a thing that God needs to heal. Our sin actually alienates us from God. God's desire is for us to love him and to be in a relationship with him, but our sin is us walking away from God and saying, God, we don't need you. We're going to do our own thing. And what is amazing is you just see how sin just percolates over and over and how it alienates our relationships, even with the people that we love. Um, I think about a, five years ago, I got in this big fight with Katie. Or was that just last week? Maybe it was just last week, right? Um, we're having our youth meeting. We have all leaders get together and we, we talk about the night and we pray and it's all really great. Well, Katie was all passionate, and excited, and she was sharing something. But the way in which she was sharing it, I started getting all defensive. Like, am I not doing a good job? Are you coming after me in front of all my leaders? Like, you're making me look like an idiot here. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I, I got all bent up, out of shape inside, and I started getting all, like, hostile inside. And so instead, I took a deep breath, and I was like, Katie, is this really what you meant to say? Because this is how I hear that, right? Is that how it went? No, not at all, right? <laughs> I'm feeling... I'm feeling backed up against the wall, backed up against the wall, backed up against the wall. And I didn't even know what was going on until after I opened my mouth and I just went, boom! Dropped this gigantic sledgehammer. And as the words are coming out of my mouth, I see your whole countenance um, change. And I'm like, oh bleep, I am a dead man. I just like, and I'm like, what? And here we are, a great staff meeting, super fun with my adult friends, getting ready to go youth group. Hey kids, we're all glad you're here. And Katie and I are like, it is not good, you know? And, uh, and, and of course, and it's not like it's the first time we've been in a, in a fight at youth group, so we, we kind of knew what to do a little bit. Um, so here I am in here going dodgeball, and I'm laying the rules, and case. standing right here like, maybe I should just go home. And and I'm like feeling all awful, and we're in this big fight, and I move my arms like this, and she's like, quit moving your arms like that. Everyone's looking at us. And I'm like, they're playing dodgeball, and, I'm, and like my voice is getting louder, so I'm like, turn the music up louder so no one can tell that Kay and I are in this huge fight during youth group, helping kids love the Lord. Right? You guys didn't even tell. Couldn't, couldn't even tell. And... Um, but finally, we realized, oh my goodness, this sin, this brokenness inside of me actually devastated our relationship. It was alienating. It was this gigantic wall that happened between Katie and I, simply because she said something. I took it. I mean, she's my wife. She loves me. She's all for me. But I got all insecure, and I reacted and crushed her feelings and, uh, and took some work to get that, to work that out. And the deal is, all of us have examples like that in real life. And I have to use real life because God's invisible. It's hard to really get our head around that we are alienated from God. But the truth of the matter is, our sin, our brokenness, alienates us from God. We are enemies with God. We have said, God, forget you. I'm doing my own thing, and I don't want anything to do with you. Unless you're going to bless my life, like the moral therapeutic deism, right? In Adam, that we are rebels, and we are broken, and we are alienated. And that is the awful awful truth. There's no moral therapeutic deism that's going to help us fix that. We cannot pay. I could not pay the 5,000 bucks to my uncle. We cannot pay the, the price for our sin. Vitamin C is not going to heal us, right? We can't just through hard work get rid of our sin nature, and we can't restore relationship with God just by trying hard. Those things, that is not part of our reality. The reality is that we are depraved people. We are morally bankrupt, and we are rebels, and we are broken and we are alienated. Now, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that 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 is not the case. That is not where we land. Um, In Romans chapter 5, it says that while we are still sinners, it is while we are sinners, it is while we are in this bag, while we are fully as far away from God as possible, Jesus actually shows up on earth and intervenes on our behalf. So let's go back to Romans chapter 5, and we'll uh, finish off where we started. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 says this, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through through that man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. And that is the good news. So what happens is, one man, Adam, we are all his descendants, and in that bag, we are hosed. We are depraved, we are rebels, we are broken, and we are alienated. But at just the right time, Jesus comes and he intervenes on our behalf and says, for those who receive them, for those who go, oh my goodness, I am hosed, I am in this bag, and there's nothing I can do. For those who receive Jesus Christ and accept his forgiveness, who accept his healing, and accept his reconciliation, our identity no longer is in Adam, but now gets to be in Christ. And so now in Christ, we are sealed. Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit seals us. And there's nothing that we can ever do to get out of this relationship with God. So now when God sees us, he doesn't just see the sin. He doesn't just see the broken, wrecked version of ourselves. He sees us. And a lot of times, we, we, Christians have messed up on this end too, and said, oh, it's not me. It's only Christ. I, I need to just keep getting back, 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 and it's all Christ. What we're talking about there is that we are dying to all of our flesh, all of our sin, and that God uniquely crafted each of us. Every single one of us in this room, in this whole world, is uniquely crafted by God to live a certain way, to do certain things, to be certain people. And it's in Christ, through the veil of Christ, that when Christ, when God looks at us through Christ, he sees the very true, full, real version that we have been made to be. And in Christ, Right? This is the, the filter in which God sees, and we are sealed um, in Christ Whoops. forever. So what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're going to see, man, in Adam, it is bad, bad news. And the big difference is that we are depraved people. But the big difference is if we are depraved people, if there's nothing we can do to earn, to get ourselves out of this trouble, then the big difference is that we need grace. We need grace. And I think what's so amazing about the Bible, and especially the New Testament, because it's not that long, and they don't have a lot of time to mess around, is everywhere in the New Testament is uh, all these awful things about our sin nature. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The consequences of sin is death. We're alienated. We're broken. You know, all these awful things about defining who we are by Jane, defining who we are in Christ. I mean, who we are in Adam. All of those places in Scripture Almost all have commas. That is not the end of the story, that is the beginning of the story. So we're going to go back and look at those passages of scripture and see where the commas take us. So if we go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we see this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, and are all justified freely. By His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So in Adam, we are rebels, but in Christ, we are now justified. In Christ, our sin, the punishment for our sin and our rebellion, has been taken care of Christ. And we need to get our heads around. Our sin is not just some light-hearted thing. oh, it's not a big deal, it's even 5,000 bucks, whatever. Our sin is so costly. it costs God His very own Son. That is the, that's the penalty. That is what it took to alleviate our sins. It is not a small thing our sinfulness, and our rebellion. And it is such not a small thing that God intervened by offering his son, Jesus, and now in Jesus, we are justified. God does not hold our sins against us anymore. Scripture says that God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we are the righteousness of God. We don't need to feel bad about our sin. We don't need to go like, oh, God's so mad at me. The penalty has been been paid for, and we are justified in Christ. Um, turn now to the Galatians chapter five verse twenty-two. In Adam we are broken, and we see that by the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery goes on and on. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. When the Holy Spirit actually comes inside of us, he he rejuvenates us, he he transforms us, he heals us, and instead of being defined by our sin and our brokenness and our envy and our rage and our anger and our debauchery, right, God heals that, and that stuff begins to wither and begins to die, and in its place is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it's the perfume of Christ that the world smells. Like those, those women, the softball players, like they don't have all the nice churchy worlds. Oh, look at those guys smell like the per- fragrance of Christ. They're not going to say that, but they get it. They go, they're nice. There's something different. What is that that's going on? And the truth is that we are redeemed people. And you may not realize it because you spend all your time with nice churchy people, but go and hang out with a bunch of non-Christians. Go just show up and see how, right? Or maybe it's even how you are when you're with all your buddies. You realize it is not defined by love and joy and peace and patience. But as we become more like Christ, those things define us. And the truth is, when those things define us, it is a strange smell to the world. And we are healed, and we get to offer healing to others. And finally, in Adam, we are alienated from God. We are his enemies. We are separated from him in relationship. In Colossians 1:21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In Christ, we are no longer enemies with God. We are no longer like the prodigal son out eating uh, pods of you know, pig food, you know, out there living these depraved lives. In Christ, we are reconciled back to God. It says for those who receive him, we get to become the very daughters and sons of God. We do intrinsically know that we have value and purpose, but when we become Christians, when we give our hearts to Christ, when we receive this gift of grace, we get to fully live into being the daughters and sons of the King. First Peter says that we once we weren't a people, but now we are a people. Once we didn't receive mercy, and now we receive mercy. So therefore, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's very own kids invited into his family to be a part of the family business. He doesn't just adopt us to be his kids, to be spoiled brats and be like, yes, all things are mine in Christ. He invites us to be in his family, to be a part of the family business, to do the kingdom work that God has called us to be, to be the fragrance of Christ, to offer love and mercy and healing and reconciliation to a world that so desperately needs it. And so as I was thinking about this, because in neutral, I believe in a moral, therapeutic, deistic God. I'm a good person. He's going to help me be a better person. And because of that, I realized that my my offering towards God, my attitude towards God is often one of stinginess, one of envy, one of pride. And I came across this passage of Scripture, which for me messed me up. And it might mess you up too. But it's in uh, Luke chapter 7. And uh, basically, you might remember the story. Jesus uh, goes to dinner with his Pharisee. And uh, while he's having dinner, this woman comes and just starts crying and pouring perfume on his feet and wetting her, um, Jesus' hair. And the Pharisees are like, ooh, what's up with that? And I mean, for me, I'm Presbyterian. You know, I don't like it. People raising their hands and getting all crazy in worship. I'm Presbyterian. What in the world are you guys doing? It's, we are calm and we are, we are noble and we are, you know, we're stoic in our worship. See, Leroy, I'm growing, right? You're changing me. Um, But the deal is these Pharisees are like, look at this woman. This is out of control. Why is she behaving this way? And Jesus lays it on. He says this. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. Which person will love Christ more? Which person will actually respond to Christ more fully. It's the person who gets that we are morally bankrupt, that we are rebels, and that we are broken, and that we are alienated, and that there's nothing that we can do on our own other than the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ. And the response when we get that is to offer a whole life. He goes on and says, Then he turned towards the woman and said, Do you see this woman? I came to your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell, tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And as her great love is shown, uh, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And I know for me, and I hope for you too, that we do not want to be Christians. We do not want to be people who love God a little. We don't want to be people who are stingy and go, God, help me be all that I want to be. And then when he doesn't come through, shake our fist at God. I want to be the kind of person who loves God wholeheartedly with all of who I am, with every ounce of my being, because I actually get, I bring nothing of significance to the table. In of myself, I am a rebel, I am broken, and I am alienated. But it is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that while we were sinners, Christ intervened on our behalf and he justifies us from our rebellion, he heals us of our brokenness, and he reconciles us in our alienation. And uh, for me, and maybe for you too, we might need to just do a little business with God. We might need to take a gut check and go, how are things really going in my heart? How am I, as a rebel, how am I in my brokenness? Am I really alienated and estranged from you? Scripture says that we are to confess our sins to Christ. And when when we do, He is faithful and He is just, and He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to own that. We need to understand that. So therefore, we can respond appropriately, not by pride, not by envy, not by stinginess, but with humble hearts that are thankful and grateful who worship the God who has saved us. So let's spend some time in silent prayer. We'll continue in worship.